Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, powered by Christianity Today. I'm J.R. Briggs. You're hearing my voice, and you're missing my co-host's voice, Doug, who's on sabbatical. But we're still delivering weekly episodes of the Monday Morning Pastor to you. But I have to admit, I miss Doug. I miss our conversations, our discussions about what we're learning, what we're reading, what's in our offices, and even our favorite headlines from the Babylon Bee. But Doug and his family are resting and replenishing well, and he will be back soon enough. But I'm thrilled for you to hear from today's guest. She is a gem. Her name is Karen Ellis. Karen Ellis is the director of the Edmiston Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity in Atlanta, Georgia. She is passionate about theology, human rights, and global religious freedom. Since 2016, she has collaborated with the International Christian Response, traveling internationally to connect local and global Christians while studying and advocating for global religious freedom. Her research explores Christian endurance from society's margins, particularly in places where it's most difficult to live the Christian life. She is the Canada Fellow for World Christianity at Reformed Theological Seminary. She holds a Master of Arts in Religion from Westminster Theological Seminary, a Master of Fine Arts from Yale School of Drama, and she is on the verge of completing her PhD in World Christianity and Ethics at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies in England. Over the past 20 years, she has been in classrooms, conferences, on television, on film, and on stage. She teaches and writes and speaks on human rights, religious freedom, and the persecuted church, and is currently an ambassador for International Christian Response. She loves to travel with her husband, the renowned theological anthropologist, ministry leader, and author, Dr. Carl F. Ellis, Jr. She is also one of my professors in my doctoral program at Missio Seminary. On this episode, we talk about the persecuted church and our role in it as Christians and as pastors and lay leaders. We talk about how she handles discouragement, what prayer coaching is and why we need a prayer coach, and the wise words from a Cuba pastor who told her to train everybody. She even throws in a great metaphor about Rocky movies, which here in Philadelphia is always a welcomed topic of conversation. Enjoy this conversation with Karen Ellis. Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, Professor. It's good to see you again. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you, Jr. I mean, just uh, I've been enjoying the podcast. I've been enjoying following you on social media since we had class together, and it's just been a treat to watch you, uh, you know, develop your own voice. What a what a blessing you are. Well, you thank you so much. You had an important role to play in that. Um, I'm not supposed to have favorite. I can say this after graduation. I'm not supposed to have favorite professors, but. <laughs> In terms of the amount of engagement my classmates and I had with your course, it continues to stay with me, which, mm-hmm. as we know, not, not every course stays with students mm-hmm. <laughs> after they graduate, but yours certainly has. And so I'm immensely grateful for the way in which you've shaped me and you continue to shape me. So it, it's, it, it's a joy to have you. Uh, you've opened my eyes on uh, many of the things in the course that we looked at were the atrocities. We talked about ethics. We talked about uh, human rights religious rights, mm-hmm. talked about Sharia law mm-hmm. and women's rights. I mean, it was absolutely fascinating. I'm curious, uh, Professor, how did you become so passionate about this, these particular topics? 
Hmm. Wow, that's <laughs> the answer to that has a story. Uh, so I, I grew up in a household where, uh, you know, we were I grew up at the, at the period shortly after the late 60s, early 70s, after the civil rights movement. And my family was actually one of the Brown versus Board of Education families. Wow. Yeah. Wow. My, my uncle was one of those cases. And no so, way. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There were five cases total. And uh, he was one of them. So he's in the history books. And so we had this kind of recent memory and legacy of um, rights activism and, oh. uh, you know, Christianity in the middle of all of that. And um, so, you know, that's speaking specifically to civil rights. So I sort of had that already uh, ingrained um, from an early age. But as a, well, after I became a Christian, I think I was about 25 years old, I became a Christian and uh, very late. And uh, I was introduced to uh, the um, I was introduced to living in Eastern Europe off and on. Um, doing some work there and was introduced to life shortly after the Communist Party had been overthrown. So oh. the Iron Curtain had fallen. And uh, I, was, <laughs> I was originally introduced early on to the work of Richard Wormbrand. Oh. Everybody yeah. else in my circles was reading um, Hind's Feet on High Places, which has, <laughs> which has its place. You yeah, know, sure. it's a wonderful, wonderful devotional, wonderful allegory. Um, everybody was reading at the time, The Purpose Driven Life. And into my hands as a baby Christian felt tortured for Christ. Yeah. And so that sort of shaped me. That began to shape me. Then I started reading more by um, Sabina Wormbrand, Richard's wife, you know, the pastor's wife, and just learning more about what life had been like under heavy religious oppression, heavy religious restrictions. And um, that sort of set me on a trajectory to be in circles where other people were talking about the same things. And so I ended up working with an organization called International Christian Response, um, which uh, assists pastors, um, educators, um, uh, people who need legal aid in, in countries, 40 different countries, 40 plus, I think, at this point around the world. And so uh, it was just something that has always been in the background. And then at some point, the Lord shifted it to the foreground. That's great. So Richard and Sabina, so talk a little bit about Richard and sort of what, what the worm brands are, are known for. Right. So um, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, uh, he was a pastor. He was actually um, of Jewish um, ancestry and came through Romania. And he uh, was during World War II was actually in a concentration camp under the Nazis. And then uh, when uh, the uh, Third Reich fell, he became uh, he was living in Romania. And as a Christian, uh, when communism took over, when the Soviets came in, uh, he became imprisoned. He was imprisoned by them for many years. Uh, of course, he wrote uh, the book Tortured for Christ and started um, a work, uh, you know, pro nonprofit organization to assist uh, people in other situations like that. But in the book Tortured for Christ, he sort of outlined uh, how they found hope. And how they found uh, kingdom advance in some of the most desolate, hopeless places uh, and just sort of outlined all the stories. And eventually, you know, became an advocate talking, speaking to the U.N., uh, raising consciousness along people, alongside people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn and mm. others who were coming up at the time. So they sort of represent for me this uh, old school because, you know, the. You know, the, the way even the way people wrote, you know, their their literary style in the, huh. the turn of the, the last century was just different. That old school 
um, missionary awareness of, you know, what happens in politics, what happens in culture, um, what happens in, um, in, uh, inside the church, not only affects your everyday life, but it, it uh, affects how the church advances and how God redeems those things uh, that seem horrific initially. Uh, but on the, you know, he's always working under the surface. So, uh, you know, Richard Wurmbrand essentially said that compared to the uh, Soviets, the Nazis were fairly lenient. Huh. Wow. So if that gives you a, a scope yeah. of the kind of suffering that the church endured under um, the communist regime, you know, across all of those communist countries. And it's still today. I think there are about, what, three or four uh, countries still living under communism, which certainly they look different, very different today than it did 60 or 70 years ago. I was just talking with a pastor from Cuba, and he was talking about how the church has actually shaped, um, the ch how the ch church has shaped significant cultural change in Cuba still under Still wow. under heavy restrictions, but just simply by being the church. And it's not it's not the same Cuba that you saw, you know, not the same Havana that you saw 60 years ago. Yeah, it's wow. incredible to see the movement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, for those of you who still may be saying Richard Warmbrand, how do I know that name? Voice of the Martyrs. Mm -hmm. if, if you haven't, if you aren't familiar with that as a listener, I we would highly recommend yeah. uh, that organization. And there are a lot of other great organizations. I just mm -hmm. read their magazine most yeah. recently, came two days ago. Yeah. And uh, so enjoyed reading that. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I love, Professor Ellis, about um, the work that you do is the way in which you advocate via Twitter. Now, some people abuse Twitter. Some people use Twitter well. You're in that rare minority that uses Twitter very well and appropriately, and you advocate. And I think one of the things I'm passionate about the the persecuted church and how do we advocate for them? I'm curious. You are a a serious researcher, and I'm curious where you're finding. Where do you go to find out this information? I know you travel, but where? Where are you finding that? Where are you going? Because each time I say, man, this is valuable stuff. The world yeah. needs to know. The church needs to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful you're willing to share. And that's why I share it with other people as well. What does that research look like as, right. as far as the advocacy? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, with the, there's so much disinformation out there. It's, it's, and people using genuine information for their own agendas. So where do you go? to get, you know, the truth of something, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 miles away. Where do you go to find that information? So I started um, following particular reporters okay, <laughs> because I trusted them more than their outlets because I, I had relationships with them. So there were people that I started following um, and just chatting with offline. And I knew that I could trust their, their sources. Uh, that was huge. So I started looking at um, um, places like um, uh, Mindy Bells, who's the um, she's the uh, uh, senior editor of World Magazine. They're doing okay. World is doing and World News Group in general is doing an amazing job. Their podcasts they're you know, they say it's something like their tagline is something like biblical truth. I mean, no, something like truthful journalism from a biblical worldview. And it's it's really Really, I've just really come to trust them. Mm. Um, and so looking at other, you know, other folks who I, I actually am related, you know, I have relationship with. But a lot of my stuff I get from people on the ground. You know, I before when I hear something is happening 
I figure that I'm only getting a part of the story. So I go <laughs> and I call up. If I know somebody in northern Nigeria, <laughs> I call them up and I say, what is going on? How should we you be? You go looking? straight to the source. If I can, I do. Yeah. And there are some yeah. places where things are happening where I don't know people. And so that's where I rely on uh, news outlets. Um, there's a fellow named Jeffrey Johnston, uh, Johnson who uh, writes for the Kingston Week Standard uh, that I appreciate greatly. And some other folks at, you know, actually in mainstream media um, who I also other voices that I trust. Uh, but really getting the information from the horse's mouth on the ground is there's so there's so much complexity behind every story. And by the time it gets filtered down to us in bite-sized pieces that we can digest, there's so, a lot of that complexity has been lost. So by the time we get, we get to, it gets to us, it's the Hatfields versus the McCoys, right? And the Hatfields stole the McCoys pig this time, right? <laughs> and so that's, that's all we know. But what, they, what we don't get is, well, this is a, the Hatfields and the McCoys have had a political situation for like 500 years back and forth mm. between them. And this is how the church was involved. And this is how this group got involved. And then this ruler came to power and then all that. So we don't get all of that. But the people on the ground know their situation better than we do. And so that's why I sort of um, I go and visit people if I can. Of course, COVID stopped yeah. a lot of that. So sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I love hearing your your travel stories of visiting our <laughs> sisters and brothers yeah. around the world um, in hostile environments. I'm curious. And again, COVID has is, is put a damper on a lot of this. Um, and I know every context in every country is different, even mm -hmm. several contexts within the same country. But are there some themes? Are there some threads among our brothers and sisters in hostile environments or places of persecution that we need to know about. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let you advocate, update, educate, however mm -hmm. you want. What do we need to pay attention to that's going around the world right now with our persecuted brothers and sisters? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, you sort of used COVID as a jumping off point into this, this question. And I think people need to recognize that COVID made things more difficult for the church around the world in hostile places than it already was before, because um, Christians who live in places where they are genuinely on the margins of their society, they're the last to get everything. Like society always delivers its best to the dominant class. And by the time things, by the time things filter down to uh, the church, it's, if they get anything, it's the last of what they get. And so, um, that, that goes to medical care, that goes to um, humanitarian aid. And so I work with organizations uh, in particular that not only um, we don't just give to the church, we give to the church on the ground so they can distribute to others from the margins in. And so that they get the credit. So the local church gets the credit and, and they are, you know, they're feeding um, the, the, they're actually feeding the people that are hostile towards them. They're giving medical aid to the people that are hostile towards them so that they can have an, an effective witness in the places where they are. Um, that's one thing I think that comes to mind immediately um, in terms of, you know, what we need to know in the immediate about COVID. Um, COVID is striking India very hard right now. And whatever you've heard about COVID in India, it's probably 10 times worse than what you've heard. Um, 
and so that's that's an uh, an extreme area of interest right now. Um, other places that were already compromised when COVID started, like uh, Yemen, um, that's that's a very difficult area right now, especially for people who are choosing to follow Christ. Still in the middle of all of that, um, you know, a lot of uh, places whose governments are unstable, uh, where they can't get aid in. Uh, or the aid stays, you know, there's a lot of corruption and the aid stays with uh, with the folks at the top. Um, so, you know, this that's just that life is not um, life for the church on the ground is hard, but they have incredible creativity as they navigate that reality. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, you know, every every closed door is actually, you know, an open one, um, which, which brings us to, you know, another organization, which is Open Doors and Brother Andrew. And the work that they do, which is similar to work of the Voice of the Martyrs. Another thing I think for us on this side of um, on this in the freer world, because we're the twenty five percent, right? Seventy five percent of the world's Christians live under some sort of hostility. So we're the twenty five percent. Say that again, because that's important for our listeners to hear. Okay, so <laughs> they we estimate because you know it's hard to know some of the numbers in some of the countries like North Korea. That's very difficult to count in places like that. But we estimate that 75% of the world, three quarters of the world's Christians live under some sort of hostility or oppression. Uh, we in the freer world are the 25%. So one of the things that I think we here in the, the 25% in the freer world need to understand is that the church is not just sitting around waiting to be tortured, persecuted. They are actually many are involved in kingdom advance, um, whether it's in, you know, whether they're restricted and unable to meet physically. Um, one of the largest disciple-making movements has no 501c3. It has no buildings. And it's happening. I can't tell you exactly where it's happening, but it's happening in the Middle East. Mm. And uh, they are, they're not just making shallow disciples either. Their disciples are deep. These are people who their options if they choose to follow Christ, their options are prison or death. And yet people are coming and they're being discipled and the church is growing. Um, so, you know, you start to see the power of the invisible church, the church made visible under different, um, different economic hardships, different political hardships, different cultural hardships, history. All of those things feed into um, in different ways. Uh, feed into, you know, how the church advances and the kinds of obstacles she has to dance around in order to do it. But the church is still growing and still moving. There's a, a, a movement happening in the Middle East that's driven by, this is a good one. It's driven by elderly, illiterate women. Wow. And they have planted, I think maybe four or five years ago, they had planted 14,000 House churches. I love these stories. I love these stories. So this is the foolish things of the world confounding the wise. You know, this is God, how God moves. And the uh, the pastor who is the, 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 the bishop who's sort of over all of this is like, I didn't know this was how it was going to unfold. But these are Lois's and uh, or no, these yeah. are Lois's, you know, making the next generation of Timothy's. Yeah. And they're they're using the orality method. Uh, by, you know, they, they learn, they ask the five questions, they study the scripture together. And it's, it's just fascinating to see how creative, um, how God just uses these, uh, these 
things that seem like they would be obstacles, but they're actually very fertile soil for the gospel. It's the it's the position the church was born in. Yeah. And right? It's the position Jesus was born into in his incarnation, right? Um, yeah. So it's it's neat to be it's neat to be among the genuine least of these in the church and just see what God is doing there. Well, this has always been a passion of mine, and I, I think that's one of the things that quickened my heart and opened the vents to my heart a little bit more in your course was, this isn't theory. Like, mm-hmm. Professor Ellis is doing this. This is mm-hmm. like, no, not, you know, I read in a magazine, but like, I talked to somebody last week in a country I can't <laughs> tell you where it is, and this is the story I'm here. I mean, that uh, it gets me excited, and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm so, I mean, even now, I'm just jumping out of my seat, just so excited yeah. about hearing some of these stories. And I think we need to hear that 75%, 25%, because it's so easy in a time of COVID and, and it's been its own level of stress uh, in the U.S. in a different way. But to keep in perspective, like, what am I complaining about? Like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. I catch yeah. myself complaining and going, dude, this is as hashtag first world problems as it gets. Break. Yeah. Like, pull out. like, it's yeah. not that big a deal uh, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. And it reminds me of something that um, the South African sociologist and missiologist um, David Bosch said. He said the church is always in a state of crisis, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when we're not, it, when we think we're not in a state of crisis, that's when we're at our worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think this is a reminder that the gospel flourishes in the midst of crises, mm-hmm. like some of the ones that you've described. So, mm-hmm. I, I think right now, I'm just thinking about our listeners, Professor Ellis, that right now there are pastors who are saying okay, I get it. I know this is important. I, I want to support my brothers and sisters around the world. But right now, uh, two things. I'm overwhelmed with what I'm entrusted to in my little plot of ground here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then second of all, I feel so overwhelmed because I don't even know where to start to begin mm-hmm. to think about highlighting or advocating. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how you might speak to a pastor who gets it in theory, and mm-hmm. it maybe is passively grateful and excited but maybe is thinking, what can I do proactively or actively intentionally mm-hmm. to support? How would you instruct in that? Yeah, I would say this goes for pastors or um, anybody, um, yeah. you know, lay people as well. You know, I think one of the most practical things you can do is support a church. And it doesn't take a lot in many countries mm-hmm. to support a church. And to support a work and then get to know the people involved in the church, give the regular updates. And, you know, you're going to think, oh, well, we don't have it in our budget. It doesn't, you know, we, we can't afford, we're not rich. You know, we're not a, we're not people of means, but that doesn't matter. There's a church in uh, Alabama, in Montgomery called Strong Tower. And uh, shout out to Alonzo and Terrence who are pastoring that church. They have had an amazing heart uh, from the time they were discipled at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they went to Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they ended up like this, this whole generation of um, people who had been discipled by African-American missionaries. They planted this church and they had a heart for missions and they started to support a church overseas. Mm. And now that's a church plant in and of itself on the margins here in the freer world, right? With no resources. Mm already with already built into their dna we're going to support someone overseas and then they visited 
they sent a delegation to go and see them. I mean, this is this is widow's might territory, mm. right? And so I, I think to the certain extent, to the extent that people do that. So how do I do that? Well, our organization, International Christian Response, will hook you up with a church. If you want to say, I want to support a work here, I want to support a work there. The, granted, there will be places that we as Westerners uh, cannot go. Mm. So we won't be able to visit them. But you'll be able to correspond. You'll be able to talk with them. You'll be able to get information about them. And it doesn't take much at mm. all. That's great. In fact, speak a little bit more. We haven't talked much about it. I, w- I want to hear more about international Christian response. Mm-hmm. What are some practical ways of further partnerships? You talk about yeah. we'll, we'll set you up. Tell us a little bit more about even its story of its founding and ways in which you all are, are seeing that mission extend uh, today. ChristianResponse.org will tell you a lot more about the, uh, the organization and how they function, but they're, they're like the stealth fighters, you know, like they, they do things that you just don't know that their fingerprints are on. So mm. because we want the church, the local church on the ground to get the, uh, the accolades. And so uh, you will see them doing work, everything from uh, legal aid, humanitarian aid in um, difficult countries. Uh, supporting people basically in places where Western missionaries can't go. So we're really big on raising up indigenous leadership. You don't have to train anybody in the language. They don't have to learn the culture. They don't have to, they don't have to travel back and forth. They don't have, you know, there's just, it's just, it makes a lot of practical sense to raise up people uh, in country uh, where they're already familiar with all of those things. And so that's the work that we do. Um, 40 different countries, 40 plus. We have program directors over each area. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a work I've been involved with for, gosh, 20 years. I've had, I think I've, I've had so many. Di- and I'm really on the periphery. I've had different functions. Uh, first is I started out as an advocate. Then I did some advertising for them. Then I was on the board. And now I'm back to being an advocate. So, you know, I've had a lot of different functions in the, within the organization. But it's one that I've really enjoyed partnering with. And they're just one of um, many different organizations we've already talked about during the podcast. What's neat about each of the organizations that works among uh, those who don't have religious freedom is uh, everybody has a different flavor and everybody has a different skill set and a different focus. And so, you know, Voice of the Martyrs, um, Open Doors, they do amazing research work. Um, ICR International Christian Response is doing more pra- is doing very practical stuff on the ground, and it doesn't mean that we're you know the others aren't doing that sure, kind of all work. Different gifts, different yeah, personalities. Yeah, it really, really the, re- the work yeah. reflects the body. There's a Christian Solidarity Worldwide uh, that my friend uh, Corey Porter is now the CEO, and uh, they do incredible advocacy work for all religious minorities um, around the world. So this, you know, everybody's got a little different, different something, something to bring. And uh, Barnabas Fund, Barnabas Aid, they're doing amazing work out of the UK. And I appreciate that we do sort of think of ourselves um, as all doing the same kingdom work, just pulling different parts mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not a less of a competitive yeah. kind of concept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. And I've always sensed that co- collaborative spirit mm-hmm. among our sisters and brothers in hostile areas. I know you also serve as the director of the the Edmiston Center for the Study for Bible and Ethnicity. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) Well, that is that is the intersection of all of the things we've been talking about. Um, You know, from my class that I've always said that there's a lot that we can learn strategically and practically and um, even in terms of theory 
from those who live Christian life on the margins. And we as people with who've enjoyed the perks of the dominant culture and relative privilege uh, for many, many years, as we continue, I think, to experience um, uh, anti-Christian sentiment, um, some of it deserved, some of it not deserved, right? Um, Anti-Christian hostility in, in our own culture I think there's a lot that we can learn from those who've uh, who experience it at the uh, the the 700 degree Kelvin end of things, right? So we're we're you know we're like at you know 98 99 degrees, right? <laughs> but they're you know they they have a lot of skills that we can learn, and there's a free flow of information happening back and forth now um, uh, through a number of organizations. There's a great group called China Partnership that's publishing uh, the works of pastors uh, in China. Uh, and they've started the Center for House Church Theology. Oh, wow. And they've got 10 publishing projects. Yeah, Hannah Nation and um, uh, a few other folks are um, sort of wrangling that together. And they've got uh, a number of different projects they're working on. Uh, one of them they just released called Grace to the City or Grace in the City, Grace from the City. Uh, and you can... You can go and take a look at them uh, through China Partnership, but that's their recent publication they just came out with this year in 2021, and it features uh, pastors like Wang Yi, who's yeah. now serving a nine-year prison sentence for preaching the gospel. Mm. And so they're publishing their sermons, their theology. Um, it's it's incredible to see, to read their pieces and see how similar their cultural struggles are. Um, just the influence of the external culture, but also the difficulties of inside the church. Um, you know, the the underground church, and they're, they're doing a lot of great things, but they're full of human beings. And so they have their own struggles, for internal struggles as well. And those change from place to place. They're, they're, they're faithful, but they ain't perfect, <laughs> you know, and they would want me to tell you that. Um, they have their own struggles as well. Um, so just to take a little bit of this sort of the, the shine of admiration off, you know, and just insert yeah. some reality there, but, um, there, that's a great, uh, great work that's going on right now. And what it represents historically, I think is a new, uh, season of inflow of information into, um, the freer world that we need. We really need, as opposed to, you know, just thinking that, oh, we must export our methodologies and our ways of doing things. And I'm like, mm, let's see what the rest of the world is doing. So it's a great opportunity. And I'm looking forward to more of that happening through the Edmiston Center. We have a 10 hour uh, curriculum that the course uh, that you took, Christian View of Human Rights, is a part of. And um, just to encourage that free flow of information, um, talking about what does Chris, what has Christian life looked like on the margins historically? That includes, um, you know, people who lived under communism. That includes the uh, African-American church experience. That includes, um, uh, uh, you know, folks, uh, you know, during the Reformation, right? Because they, the, they were the folks on the margins during those days, right? So what does that look like? What does it look like historically? And what does it look like in the contemporary world today? And uh, what can we glean? How can we be better leaders uh, training everybody? going into this new season for Christianity around the globe. Mm. If you had three or four minutes of every pastor in North America had their attention, mm -hmm. what would you want them to know uh, on this topic or these topics that you haven't shared yet? Hmm. 
I would want you to know that first off, you're not alone. Mm. You are not alone in asking the questions, the hard questions of, are we in a new season here in our country? Mm. Um, I certainly do not call what we are experiencing persecution. I don't want any of you to ever say, uh, you walk out of here and say, Karen Ellis said, we're under persecution. We are not Mm. under persecution. However, there is a shift in our culture that's going on right now. And if you're feeling that, it's true. There is, it's, this is not, this is not Christianity in America 50 or 60 years ago. I would also want people to know that the shift that we're seeing, I believe God is actually using it for his redemptive purposes. And I think that I believe, and I teach, uh, and my husband teaches as well, that we are in a season where a lot of people are actually turning toward returning to first things, prayer, discipleship, um, wisdom, stealth, which is the sexy one, right? And, and genuine biblical transformation. Um, and that is reflective of a lot of things that we're seeing. A lot of people around the world are doing that today. Um, yes, I think it is a minority uh, of people who believe that um, while politics and culture are important, politics and culture are not ultimate. And we are in a we are in a phase of Christianity where we can understand ourselves as what I call not a counterculture, but an other cultural, other political reality. And it's a culture and a politics that are based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have a chance right now to push the reset button and pass a really decent kingdom ball forward to the next generation to do discipleship better, to do it more deeply, and to prepare people for a different kind of reality coming probably in two or three generations. Oh, man, I love that. I love that. Let's talk a little more personally here the last few minutes, if we could, mm-hmm. if you're comfortable with that. Um, I mean, all. Christian leadership, I mean, all leadership in general, but leadership ministry, even working with hostile uh, places, hostile to the gospel, there's discouragement all over the place. What do you, what does discouragement look like in your life? And what do you do when you're discouraged in the midst of being a a kingdom leader? Oh, that looks like different things at different times. (laughs) Um, uh, There are times where I'm curled up in a fetal position on my side and my husband prays over me. Mm. Um, It's just, it's a part of the human condition. Um, There are times when I have enough um, either courage or stupidity to just keep barreling ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could say I pray all the time, but I don't. Um, I'm still learning to make, um, prayer and calling out my, my default position because it's, 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 it's a practice and it's a discipline. Um, and the more I exercise it, the more I I do it willingly. Um, but I'm learning. I've actually put myself in, uh, my husband and I both about two years ago, we put ourselves in prayer coaching between Mm. the two of us. We have about 80 years of practical ministry experience and we just started being faced with some things 
um, personally, professionally, that we looked at each other and we were like, we're we're outgunned and outmanned on these things. Mm-hmm. And so we put ourselves in private prayer coaching and then we got in global prayer coaching through a group called Prayer Current. Um, they are out of Canada and they are doing prayer training all around the world and um, training leaders to return to that first discipline in a very, very practical way. There's a great book. Um, it's it's uh, been started by a, a man named um, John Smid and a woman named uh, Christine Huang. And they've written a book called Prayer Revolution. It's a 12-week prayer study. It will change you. It will change you about the potential of kingdom advance through mm. prayer. They take you through showing how each movement in Christian in, in the history of the church was always preceded by prayer and a particular kind of prayer. Um, and so they give you some really practical ways of developing prayer, good prayer habits and uh, learning to make it your your default position when discouragement presses in because it will mm. and it does. And Satan fights dirty. He hits below the belt. He comes for your family. It's like, no, come for me. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to go for everything. And if you have a big family, you're a big target. And so he, uh, the, the only way you can fight spiritual battles is spiritual weapons. And we don't know how to use them well. I don't know how to use them well. So um, we've been learning over the last two years how to do that better. Wow. This is fascinating. I have never heard of the phrase prayer coaching before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is absolutely fascinating. Get you one. Wow. <laughs> it, it will change you. But also get ready for the onslaught because when you start praying, stuff starts happening. Satan's not happy about it. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious how, uh, and if you don't mind, and if this is too personal, that's fine. How have you and your husband been shaped and changed through prayer coaching the most? I mean, can you give an example or a story where that has shaped you? I think that it has made us as good Presbyterians, it's made us really aware that there that this really is a spiritual battle. <laughs> and you know, you know, we when you work with the underground, you know, you get out, you step outside the West and you just see things that you don't have systematic categories for, you know. And you know, it's it's it, you think to yourself, wow, there really is a, a spiritual realm happening here. And we really are. And, 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 and Paul's words, you know, uh, from Ephesians 6 about, uh, you know, this battle, uh, you know, our weapons are not the weapons of the world. We are a different, we're an otherworldly people fighting an otherworldly battle in temporal terms. And um, I think it's really opened our eyes to how true that really is, that there mm. really is a much bigger picture going on. Um, and so, you know, we, we ask for wisdom on how to, um, how to interpret that, how to unpack that, knowing that we all see through a glass darkly, but that there's a much bigger picture and there's a whole lot more at stake than just, mm. um, you know, honestly, there's a much bigger picture at stake than religious freedom because mm. God works with religious freedom and he works without it. And we've seen, we've seen both realities. Mm. And so... I it it has made us the whole concept of having our eyes open to the larger battle and reminded that there's something larger going on has really sort of reoriented our priorities uh, where we're going to throw our weight 
I mean, we're at that we're at that Rocky one good punch stage of life. You know what I mean? Young, <laughs> young Rocky, young Rocky danced all over the mat. You know, those early days, you know, the early movies in the 70s. And then, you know, you get to the later movies and he's old and he's only got one good punch. <laughs> so, you know, the other guys are dancing and he's like, nope, I'm just going to wait. And I'm going to land my punch. And so we've uh, got we've got one good punch left and we don't have time for rabbit trails. We want to be about the things of the kingdom. I think prayer coaching has really helped us focus in on what uh, we specifically should be about in this moment with the gifts, the, the particular gifts that we've been given mm. and uh, where we're going to spend the next 20 years of our teaching lives. Mm. Uh, well. Professor, I am so grateful for for you. I'm so grateful for your passions and the way that you mm-hmm. and your husband are stewarding that so well. And uh, I just continue to cheer you on and say, keep going. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being an advocate in so many ways, so many important ways. Uh, and uh, I'll make sure that our listeners uh, have all the the links that you mentioned in the show notes, as well as also your your Twitter handle. I really want to encourage people <laughs> to follow you on Twitter because it's so important. But if people wanted to know, in fact, why don't you give us your Twitter handle? And if there are any other information or ways in which we could follow or stay in touch with the good work that you're doing? Oh, well, um, you can follow uh, me uh, on Twitter. It's just under my name, K underscore in, uh, A underscore Ellis. Um, also on Instagram, you know, just trying to make an oasis on people's timelines or a place where they can, you know, just stop and think and, you know, be encouraged. Um, and you can also follow us at edmistoncenter.org uh, and see and sign up for our newsletter there and find, hear about the things, the, the people that we're into. We are interviewing on our podcast a lot of the folks um, that I've been talking with. You know, it's funny. Sometimes you can't show their faces and you can't, mm. uh, you know, expose their voices, but they've got something to say. So we're trying to give them a platform that's called Walking Forward. Uh, the podcast of the Edmiston Center. But I also want to thank you, JR, and encourage you to uh, your work on leadership is so it's I think it's vital for um, this new season that we're coming into. Uh, I was talking again with this this uh, pastor, this Christian helper from Cuba. And I said, asked him if there was anything you could tell us you from your position, what would mm. it be? What should we be doing right now? And he's the first thing he said was train everybody. Wow. And I've heard that from leaders around the world saying everybody needs to be trained and they need to be trained to be a leader, Mm. no matter where they sit in the pews or in the pulpit. Everybody should be trained to be a leader. So your work is so valuable. Um, Mm. So keep going. Mm. Well, thanks so much. Always Mm -hmm. great to be with you. Yeah, it's good to talk to you too, my brother. (laughs) 